We're starting the beginning of the year with Rays of the One Light. So this is our reading, week one. At the heart of silence, the eternal word. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, these immortal lines appear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Human vision beholds individuality and separation everywhere. Divine vision beholds the oneness of cosmic vibration of which all things, no matter how diverse, are manifestations. Cosmic sound, the word of God, and cosmic light, these are eternal. The world, as revealed to us by our senses, is illusory. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda relates an early experience he received of the divine aspect of reality. Sitting on my bed one morning, I fell into a deep reverie. What is behind the darkness of closed eyes? This probing thought came powerfully into my mind. An immense flash of light at once manifested to my inward gaze, Divine shapes of saints sitting in meditation posture in mountain caves formed like miniature cinema pictures on the large screen of radiance within my forehead. Who are you? I spoke aloud. We are the Himalayan yogis. The celestial response is difficult to describe. My heart was thrilled. Ah, I long to go to the Himalayas and become like you. The vision vanished, but the silvery beams expanded in ever-widening circles to infinity. What is this wondrous glow? I am Ishwara. I am light. The voice was as murmuring clouds. I want to be one with thee. Out of the slow dwindling of my divine ecstasy, I salvaged a permanent legacy of inspiration to seek God. Wise are we if we meditate on that experience of Yogananda's and salvage from it even a breath of his inspiration. For quite simply, there is nothing else. As the Bhagavad Gita says in the seventh chapter, I make 
and unmake this universe. Apart from me, nothing exists, O Arjuna. All things, like beads of a necklace, are strung together on this thread of my consciousness and are sustained by me. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. This is from Whispers from Eternity. Uh, The demand to open my inner eye. Open my inner eye, O fountain of light, that I may behold thee in the dance of the myriad-hued atoms. Burst open the doors of space that I may see thee behind the swirling mists of material illusions behind the walls of brilliant cosmic rays, thou art hiding. Open every portal in nature that I may see thee everywhere. Well, this topic this morning of vibration, of the Om and of the light, is extraordinarily profound and it's at the heart of everything else because it, is the way that God has brought creation into manifestation. And we being part of manifestation, part of that vibration, are a part of that light and the consciousness of God. Master has explained it relatively simply that if you take, for instance, a tuning fork and you hold that tuning fork and there's no vibration then there's no movement, there's no sound. But if you begin to vibrate (coughs) the tongs of that tuning fork, if you get them vibrating, then it produces sound. And that's what the Bible reading was about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, God obviously is not a tuning fork. Well, actually, God is a tuning fork. (laughs) But... More precisely, God is not only a tuning fork. So God takes his consciousness and begins to vibrate it. If he didn't vibrate it, he still exists, but he's God without creation. In the Indian scriptures, that's called the night of Brahma, where there's a period where he does not bring forth, he, she, does not bring forth creation. But during the day of Brahma, he begins to vibrate and he vibrates his consciousness and that produces sound and it produces light. But in that vibration of consciousness, it's as if he dreams the universe into being. He vibrates into a dream. We do the same thing. In fact, Master said, the reason that we dream at night spiritually is to understand how God does creation. In deep sleep, where our consciousness, let's say, is not vibrating, we don't produce a dream. And we just there calmly. In fact, we wouldn't be able to exist unless we went into that state of deep sleep at night. 
So that's mimicking, in a little way, God beyond creation or the night of Brahma. Then we begin a dream. (coughs) We vibrate our consciousness, and that consciousness produces a big drama. And that drama can take myriad forms and be very exciting and very thrilling, or it can be very uplifting. It has enormous variety to it. And then when we're done with that, we go back into deep sleep again. And the typical night alternates between these periods of the night of Brahma state and the day of Brahma state in the dream world. And so we can, we can in that, understand what God is doing in producing creation. But God's dream is so enthralling that it's very, very hard to pull back and to see it just as a dream drama. You know, uh, the illustration I read lately or recently that makes it easy to understand is that if you have a stage light and that light is just shining and you take a gel, let's say a red gel, and you put it in front of it, it produces a red light. You pull that away, you put a blue gel in, a blue light, and so on. Well, it doesn't take any imagination for a person to catch on quickly. Oh, that's just, you're just putting different colors in front of that light, and that produces a different color of light that comes out. But then if you take one more step, instead of different gels, you take a different colored bulb and you screw it into a socket. And so you look and you see a red bulb and then you have somebody replace that. You don't see that and it's a blue bulb and it's blue light. It's easier for the mind to get tricked a little bit and to think that the bulb itself is producing that light, that color and so on. But it doesn't take very long for a person of normal intelligence to catch on to that trick. But what about other tricks with light? What about the DVDs that we watch? You know, that's just electricity. That's just light. That's just pixels. But it's harder to understand when that big rock is rolling down trying to crush Indiana Jones. (laughs) It's harder to pull back and say, oh, that's just a good trick. That's just light. That's just pixels. Oh, fun. And it's even harder when it's a person or it's what you think of as yourself or it's a drama or it's the elections or it's world war or it's the stock market or you win the lottery or it's even harder to pull back and say, oh, what a drama. What a nice drama. It's just all fun, all joy. It's just you God, Ishwara, playing this drama. It's just cosmic vibration manifesting in different forms. Harder harder to pull back from that. But there are ways, in fact, I, I want to end by giving, in fact, specific techniques. But Master gave us the clue to it. He said, I fell, he was a young boy at the time, I fell into a deep reverie. And then I asked the question, what's behind the closed eyelids? And then he saw the light, and that light produced Himalayan yogis, 
and then it dissolved even from that and produced just light, pure light, Ishwara. So he gave us the key to how to do it, to pull back and ask what's behind the closed eyes. Now, if we just close our eyes and ask what's behind the closed eyes, we're not likely to get very far. We have to get into that deeper state, that deep reverie, the state of meditation. And in that state, if we ask what's behind here, we begin to see that cosmic light. Maybe not as clearly as Master did yet, but we will. Maybe it won't take yet the form of Himalayan yogis or Ishwara, but it will. It will manifest in deeper and deeper ways according to the depth of our consciousness because it's in stillness that we perceive the whole of the vibration. It's not while we're still vibrating. It's in our still state, stillness, that we can perceive that. But I thought it might be fun to tell some stories about Himalayan yogis. I have just been um, reading a wonderful book, rereading a wonderful book called Shaped with Saints. It's about a, uh, uh, it's some stories by someone that many of us in this room know and have met. He's passed away now. His name is Devi Mukherjee, was Devi Mukherjee. He was a a friend and disciple, brother disciple with Swami Kriyananda of Master in India. But just as Master in that reverie uh, said, oh, saw those Himalayan yogis, said, oh, I long to come and be with you. The same desire was in Devi's heart. He longed to come and be with the Himalayan yogis. And so he took many, many treks into the mountains. And he was also, like Swami, a very close and loved, not disciple, but visitor to Anandamoy Ma. He often went to visit her. (coughs) And she would always have him come sit close by and called him little son, little son. But he asked her one time, can I in this life go and just live in in the Himalayas with the yogis there? She said, no, it's not for you in this life. You're going to marry in this life. But in the next life, you will do that. But he said, it's, she told him, it's, it's, your, it's in the rightness of things that you marry in this life. Remember last night I told this story of Master finding that friend and challenging him to a race. And uh, uh, Tulsi Bosch was his name. Well, Devi Mukherjee married Tulsi's daughter, Hashi. Hashi's still living and is a friend of many of us. So uh, it's all tied together here. At any rate, coming back to some stories of Himalayan yogis. So, so uh, Devi loved to wander, loved to go into the Himalayas and seek out saints. So one time he was going to seek out a saint and uh, he was told, given instructions, well, you walk for about an hour and a half and then you'll come to a particularly magnificent tree and then you turn left and you <laughs> go up the hill and that's where you'll find him. And so that's, those are the kind of directions you get. <laughs> You know, they didn't have GPS and Google Maps. 
So at any rate, Davy was doing this and he missed the tree and continued wandering. And then he went some mile, a mile past the tree, which he was going to find in a minute. But uh, this young girl came and she was carrying a bundle of sticks out of the forest. And she asked him, where are you going? And he said, oh, I wanted to visit so-and-so, this saint. And she said, oh, I'll show you the way. You shouldn't go farther into the jungle here. It's dangerous. There are tigers in. Come with me and I'll show you the way. And so she took him back and there was the tree. And she said, and there's the path. And he looked and looked for the path, saw it. And then he turned back and she had disappeared. And so he started walking up the path and he thought, I wonder if that was Divine Mother that came and brought me back to the path, to the right path that I should take. And when he got up to the top of the hill, the saint that he was wanting to visit was standing there waiting for him. And the saint said, you should pay more attention in the future. Divine Mother had to come and save you. (laughs) But Divine Mother does come and save us. That's the point of the story. That when we seek her in the form of the saint, then she's part of the drama. When we seek God, as we're all doing, we have to understand that Divine Mother, Master, these great ones are there watching us. And if we get into too much trouble, they'll come and help us, give us a little nudge. They may not come as a... They they don't manifest normally in a blaze of glory with wings. They manifest in a form that fools us. A little village girl with a bundle of sticks on her head. How are we going to recognize that being Divine Mother? Or they manifest in the form of advice through a friend. How are we going to know that Divine Mother spoke to us through Ananta? Because it looks like it was Ananta, wasn't Divine Mother. And so we get fooled. But God does help us, does watch over us, does care for us. So another time Davy was wandering to see a saint in the mountains. And as he was going on his way, he came to, uh, he heard about another saint. So he went to, <coughs> to visit this second saint. And the second saint was very old, well over a hundred years old. And when Davy arrived there, there was a crew of scientists, a group of scientists who had brought an electroencephalograph and they were going to study this saint. And they had cameras and they had their equipment and they took, got their cameras out and they were trying to take pictures and none of their cameras would function, not a single one. The shutters wouldn't work. And they didn't quite know what to think of that. But one of them said, oh, please, sir, allow us to take your picture. And he said, oh, your little toys aren't working, huh? (laughs) You think your toys are important, but they aren't working. And so he said, all right, I'll let you take one picture, but only one. And so they took one picture. And then they got him all hooked up to his 
to this electroencephalograph and it was it seemed to be working and then they wanted to study his brain waves and they looked there were no brain waves whatsoever <laughs> and it didn't seem that his brain was functioning and so then they got him unhooked and he looked at him with a twinkle in his eye and said, oh, your toys didn't work, huh? (laughs) And he said, the reason you didn't get any brain waves is because I wasn't in my body. I was outside my body. My brain wasn't functioning. He said, you Western scientists think that your science studies reality and that your toys are important. But the yogic science is far, far beyond what you Western scientists think of. He said, you think that the physical produces the consciousness and that you can take some device and study the physical thing and that you understand the consciousness behind it. He said, that's not the truth. Consciousness produces the physical. And if you understand consciousness, you can be in the physical or not be in the physical. But it's just consciousness. So that's what Himalayan yogis are like. That's what happens when you go into the light and become one with the light. So then Devi proceeded on to visit the Swami that he had, was on this trek in order to visit. This was... Uh, Narayan Swami was his name. And Narayan Swami, when he arrived, said, you can't come here. There's no room. You can't stay. And Devi said, oh, please, please. I'm a friend of so-and-so who was a disciple of Swami Narayan. And so then Swami Narayan relented. And Devi stayed there three or four days. But at night... Swami Narayan said, now don't come out of your room. There are going to be some tigers here. (laughs) And so that night, Devi looked out the window and there were about a dozen tigers and Swami Narayan was just playing with them. He was patting them. There were mother tigers and cubs and so on. And he was just, he was scratching them and playing with them and they were rolling around at his feet. And this went on for quite some time. And then they, then they left. And, and uh, the next morning, Davy said, Oh, can I come out and play with the tigers tonight? I love tigers. I love... And Swami Narayan said, very interestingly, he said, your love is only 60% developed. You're lacking the other 40%. And lacking that other 40%, you'll become a tiger sandwich. (laughs) So no, you can't come out and play, but you can watch again. And so that night also, he watched and the tigers came and Swami Narayan played with them. And then a tiger brought a rabbit that it had caught and laid it at Swami Narayan's feet. And Swami Narayan said, I told you, I don't want you bringing any fresh kills here. I told you that. The tiger kind of went like that and slunk away into the forest. And 
So where is the, where is the reality and where is the non-reality? It's all light. It's all love. It's all, see the qualities of God, light and sound and love and joy. That's what produces this drama, not the other way around. We don't have to go through something in this outer drama that somehow is going to bring us to the point that it produces the light or produces the sound. We don't have to learn the light. We don't have to, I don't know, go through some test in order to have the light. That light is within us all the time, right now, as much as it will ever be. We just have to calm down and perceive it. That vibration of Om is in your ear right now as I speak. Let's just stop a moment. Listen in your right ear and try to hear Om there. Try to hear sound, vibration. Now look at your forehead and perceive light there. Don't produce it, just perceive it. Okay, now if we could get into a deep state, a deep reverie as Master called it, we would perceive Om and light which are basically the same. It's vibration at different rates. We would perceive that and in the perception of that, we would merge with it. But that, for most of us, seems to be something that we're, we haven't arrived at yet. So we have to keep working at it. As we heard last night, Master said that we have to work on intensity of meditation that we have to get the mind used to the intensity of meditation in order for that light or sound to manifest more powerfully. Because that, the power of that light is like a hundred million billion suns. Very, very powerful. And same with Om. Om isn't something kind of oh, pleasant little sound. Om has produced the universe, galaxies upon galaxies, upon stars, upon black holes, upon everything the scientists study. And as Master said, you take a little pinch of flesh, there's enough power in it to run the city of Chicago for a week. Little, little fistful of flesh, enough to blow up cities. There's power in this vibration that's produced. But we have to get our consciousness aligned, ready for the intensity. So I'll tell you two more stories because they're fun. I'm not sure that I'll even be able to tie them into light and sound, but they're kind of Himalayan yogi stories. These both have to do with Anandamoy Ma, who, as I said, Devi used to visit often. And one time he went to visit and this was in a, a ashram that was about 60 or 70 miles from Benares, but it was in a very remote region. And he liked to go and visit her there because uh, there was no, tra- you had to walk into it. 
and not many people took the time to do it so he could be with her without many crowds around and he loved to do that. So he was staying in a little hut about uh, a few minutes walk, five minutes walk, ten minutes walk, something like that from Ma's ashram. And so one morning uh, he came out of the hut and just as he opened the door, a big rat scurried in to his room. But he didn't want to be late, so he just figured out, I'll catch him later. He closed the door and started to go. And there was a huge cobra that had been chasing the rat, a 15-foot cobra that had come up and was now, Davy was the subject of his attention having prevented him from getting at his rat. And so this cobra began to to rise up and Davy had been told by someone, uh, by someone who dwelt in the forest, he said, don't try to run if a cobra is ever like that. They're much too fast. You won't have a chance. He said, the only thing you can do is to take off your shawl if you have it and hold it in front of you And then if it tries to strike, you can try to wrap your shawl around it, giving yourself enough time to run away. So it takes a certain amount of (laughs) self-possession to (laughs) handle it that way. But Davy took off his shawl and he was holding it there. And the snake had reared up and its hood was extended. And it, it was, Davy could see that it was getting ready to strike. And then um, behind some worker, forest worker, had seen what was happening. And he had a kind of a chopper axe. And he came up very quietly. And then with a full force, he chopped the head off the snake. And it went rolling down. And uh, Davy said they had to avoid being near it because it, it was snapping away for several minutes afterwards. But... In this drama, several people from the ashram came running up and said, are you all right? Are you all right? Well, the ashram was five minutes away. And they said, Ma told us to come here because you were in danger. So Ma was aware of all of this drama going on. And when you're one with everything in the universe, you're one with Devi, you're one with the snake, you're one with the drama. You know what's going on. These great yogis, one with the light, are one with all of creation. Master was one with all of creation. And so that's the state of consciousness that we're trying to get to in our meditations. Now, there are a couple of things that we can do that will help us very, very much in our spiritual search. In fact, this first one that I'm going to talk about, Master said is the best technique for rapid advancement of all. I don't know that he compared it to Kriya Yoga or not, but he said, keep your consciousness always focused at the point between the eyebrows. So if we can do that, now it's not hard to do, honestly, Every time we meditate, we focus our consciousness at the point between the eyebrows. 
Stop for a moment. Bring your consciousness to the point between the eyebrows. That wasn't hard, was it? What's hard is remembering to do it. Because we're caught up in the rock rolling down, chasing Indiana Jones or whatever is going on in our life. Breakfast burnt. I don't know. It's hard because the outer drama, the outer expression of light and sound draws us into the outer expression of it. But what we need to do if we're going to become like Himalayan yogis or like Master or like Ma is to pull back and see the force that produces the creation, not the creation itself. So as much as you can, as many times a day as you can, Try to feel your consciousness at the point between the eyebrows. Try in this next week to feel your consciousness there several times a day. You can do it with your eyes closed. You can do it with your eyes open. But if you can bring your consciousness there, that will begin to retract your hypnotism, retract you from the hypnotic state. There was a disciple, fellow disciple of Swami's uh, when he was there who did that very strongly for several days and he began to withdraw from body consciousness. He, he, had, he worked in the print shop. He couldn't feel his hands and, and body and he had to go and ask Master to help him come out of that state because he was afraid he might have an accident with the printing equipment. Well, let's take the chance. (laughs) So the first thing is to keep your mind as constantly or as often during the day as you can at the point between the eyebrows. Try to either feel energy if you have your eyes open or see light. Eventually, you can see the spiritual eye. The same for Om. Try to hear Om several times a day in your ear. Just listen. Stop. Still your mind and listen for it. It becomes quite easy to hear something. As I said, that's not the hard part. The hard part is remembering to do it. And so the more we do that and the more intensely we do that, the more a magnetic energy is created until we want to do it and we feel, I don't know, almost like lonely if we aren't tapping into that. And most especially, try to do it before you go to sleep at night. When you have finished everything, I would say this, try to read, if you're going to read anything before you go to sleep, Make sure that it's something spiritual so that your mind isn't taken outward into things. Read something spiritual if you're going to read. And then as you're going to sleep, try to look into the spiritual eye and see light there. And go into sleep looking into that light. If you do that, it produces a kind of a powerful magnetism there. You can also, if you want to, do a very simple chant like or mantra, as Davy said last night, Om Guru is the one that Master recommended. 
You can look in, look for that light, and with your breath, incoming breath, chant Om, outgoing breath, Guru. Om, Guru, like that. And try to go into the restful state, the, the day and night of Brahma within, uh, within the sleep state by going into the light rather than just sinking into subconsciousness. Or the same with sound. Listen to the sound of Om and try to go in at that time. But if in addition to meditation and Kriya Yoga and the practices of our path, if we will bring our consciousness more regularly to the point between the eyebrows, more regularly baptize ourselves in the light and the sound of cosmic vibration, we will be able to make much more rapid progress. And one of these days, we will be one of those Himalayan yogis. Mm -hmm.